Uh, We're in the third chapter of Jonah. If you have your Bibles, uh, your copies of God's Word, you join me there in Jonah chapter 3. We have seen an interesting picture in the first two chapters of Jonah so far, as we have seen that Jonah is a prophet who does not want to be a prophet anymore. Uh, He had been told to go up to Nineveh rather than go and preach uh, to Nineveh. He went the opposite direction. He's gone down to Joppa, down into a ship, and ultimately down into the sea because he has tried to get away from the presence of God and has no interest in repentance or anything to do with God whatsoever. As Jonah hits the seafloor, as we saw in chapter 2, he remembers the Lord turns his eyes back toward God, and God had appointed a fish to swallow up Jonah. And for three days and three nights, Jonah was sitting in that fish, thinking about life, thinking about what's happened up to that point. That'd be an interesting place to have your own thoughts for a while. Just... You know, sit in the fish and think about life for a moment and my own life decisions. And that's what he does. And he concludes with his prayer of thanksgiving to God and proclaiming the need to turn away from idols and how he will offer his thanksgiving of praise and sacrifices to God. And chapter two ends with the fish being told by God to vomit him out onto the dry land. And that's where we are now in chapter 3. And I think that the beginning of chapter 3 might be as fascinating of any of the things that God says. You'll notice in chapter 3 and in verse 1, we are told that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And I'd like for you to kind of imagine what you would think God would have said now after Jonah has done what he's done, gone where he's gone, has been spit up by a fish and is now back on the land again. And now the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. And I want you to notice that what you have God saying is in verse two, get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. The words that are given there are so similar to the words that you found in the first two verses of chapter one. That God had come to Jonah the first time and said, get up and go to Nineveh and preach to that city because their wickedness has come up to me. And now after being spit up onto the land, you will notice that God comes to Jonah and says, get up. Go to Nineveh and preach the message that I am telling you to preach. And there is something beautiful of how God is allowing Jonah to start over. In fact, I would like for you to notice that God does not have the fish spit Jonah out onto the land. And now he says, I'm stripping you of your prophetic credentials You are no longer allowed to be my prophet. You are rejected. You are demoted. You are going to be on probation. You're going to sit in the corner for a while and we're going to see how you do. And maybe I'll let you back in after some good behavior for a time. You have to like that. God just says, let's try this again (laughs) without any other word, without a word of condemnation here. You know, chapter two does not. I mean, chapter three, verse two does not say. At what in the world were you thinking? (laughs) How could you have decided to do what you've done? God just says, let's get up and fulfill your mission. 
get up and go to that city and proclaim the message that I am going to tell you. And one of the things that we have been underscoring in this series is the relentless grace of God. And I want you to appreciate how God comes to Jonah here and just says, in essence, let's try this again. Why don't you go and do what I've asked you to do? Go up to Nineveh and you have God pressing a reset button for Jonah. Let's try this again. And let's go and proclaim God's word. You'll notice then what Jonah does. It tells us in verse 3 that Jonah now this time goes to Nineveh. Last time, instead of going up, he went down. He went down to Joppa. Now he goes up to Nineveh. And we're told there in verse 3 that this is a really big city. To go across the city and proclaim this message is going to be a three-day journey. So you can imagine that it's not just going to be five minutes of telling the town, hey, everybody, here comes uh, God's message. But he's expected to spend three days to get the word of God proclaimed against this large city. As a reminder, Nineveh is the capital city of the great Assyrian Empire. And so this is a magnificent city. It is a large city. And now Jonah's going to go preach to it. And that is exactly what he does in verse 4. First day of his journey, first day of his walk in the town, verse 4 tells us that he cried out 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. A very simple message, not very complex. Hey, everybody, you only have 40 more days and God has decreed destruction upon the city of Nineveh. And I think this is a very interesting proclamation. You know, I wouldn't call this a seeker-sensitive message. (laughs) You know, if you think about, all right, what are you going to go tell them? And it says that he's supposed to preach the word of the Lord. Some people are very critical of what Jonah says. But it tells us there in verse 2 that he's supposed to proclaim the message that I tell you. And I believe the message that he told Jonah was 40 more days. And then, and the city's going to be overthrown. And so day one walks into the city 40 more days and the city is going to be overthrown. You don't have Jonah going around taking a poll, asking them, you know, what are you looking for in a God? Would you be interested in serving him? I know there's some things that you might not like. Maybe we should, you know, ignore some of those things. It's not a message to try to see what everybody likes. It's just a simple message of, Here's what God says. Your wickedness has come up to God and you only have 40 more days and now the city is going to be overthrown. And so Jonah proclaims that very message. And and just as a quick reminder, as I've highlighted in the Jonah series and we looked at a little bit more in depth over the past few weeks in the Sunday night series when we were in the book of Nahum, which was also prophecy against the city of Nineveh. Nineveh is a wicked and cruel and terrible and hated city. Nobody liked Nineveh in the world. You might remember the book of Nahum said, nobody's going to be sad when you go. They're all going to be cheering and clapping when you finally fall. 
This is a terrible, cruel, awful, wicked, hated city. And that wickedness has come up before God. And that's why this judgment must come. It is time for God to bring justice. Their wickedness is great. And even our history books tell us of that truth. But what is particularly fascinating is what you read in verse 9. I don't know that you would have expected a cruel, wicked, awful city to have this response. Jonah goes into the city. It's only day one. He says 40 more days. And then the city is going to fall. Verse 5 we read. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast. And everyone both small and great, put on sackcloth. This is a fascinating response. I think there's an intended contrast. When Jonah heard the word of the Lord the first time, he went the other way. When the people of Nineveh hear the word of the Lord, they believed God. And you will notice that they go through a process of showing repentance, both small and great. Now, proclaim a fast and everyone is going to wear sackcloth. That's not really a thing that we do these days. Sackcloth was this really scratchy, uncomfortable material. And you would put it on to show your mourning or to show your sincerity of your grieving process. Uh, in fact, one of the times that we read about this kind of self-humiliation is King Ahab. The one time you read King Ahab of Israel have a repentance, it says that he fasted and put on sackcloth and God saw that heart and re of repentance and accepted it. And you're seeing the people do that here. They are lowering themselves before God. They are proclaiming a fast. They are going to be crying out to God. They are wearing sackcloth to ultimately show their repentance, to show their desire to turn back to God before it is too late. In fact, if that were not stunning enough, you'll notice in verse 6. And when news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Even the king is moved at hearing the proclamation of God. And I want you to notice he goes through the very same activities. He's going to fast. He is going to wear sackcloth. In fact, the wording of the, the picture here is beautiful that he gets off his throne and sits in ashes. So he is lowering himself and counting himself as everyone else. He does not see himself as above the word of God. And he joins in with the people with this picture of repentance. And I want us to see that the picture that we read here about this city and about this king gives us some of the best pictures of what God is looking for with an idea of repentance, what true repentance looks like. And the first thing that you see them doing is humbling themselves. Repentance is a picture of being willing to lower yourself before God. 
You are hearing what God says and you accept what he says because he is the authority. And here, even the king does not say, hell, you don't you know why I'm king, which is useful to think about, because how many times did Israel's and Judah's kings hear the word of the Lord and said, yeah, but I'm king and I don't care what God says. (laughs) And here is the king of Nineveh, ruler of Assyria, a great world empire. And he humbles himself before God. He lowers himself before God. And what is beautiful about what he does in verse six is he doesn't care what people see about him or think about him. This is not kingly to do at all for the king to get off the throne and to fast and cry out to this God and to wear sackcloth. How uncomfortable and degrading. How humiliating to sit in ashes. The king of Nineveh is sitting in ashes, but he doesn't care what the people see and what the people think. Friends, this is so important with the idea of true repentance. True repentance does not care about public perception. True repentance owns the sin and does not care who knows about it. This is, I think, a a great contrast to the failure of King Saul. He is a fascinating study. Uh, I love looking at his life because he is so instructive about a lot of things you're not supposed to do. And one of the things is in terms of his repentance, you see something very valuable. The prophet Samuel comes to King Saul and convicts him of sin. And I want you to listen to how Saul responded. He said in 1 Samuel 15 verse 30, I have sinned. You think, all right, it's looking good. Got some repentance, some ownership. He's owning the sin, right? Yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel. And return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. Here's a curious picture. Okay, I've sinned, but let's make sure it's all looking good to everybody. Please make sure that I'm honored before all the leaders and the elders of Israel and make sure before all of Israel and you come with me and make it all look good like everything's a-okay. All right, all right, I've sinned, you got me, but let's make sure that nobody else understands this. It's a failed repentance. We don't have time to look at Samuel going, you know, shaking his head at this. It is not what God is looking for. That God is looking for true repentance and true repentance does not try to put on a good show. True repentance does not make excuses for why we are doing what we are doing or for the sins that we are committing. True repentance does not say, what will everybody think of me? True repentance is concerned about your relationship with God. That's what matters. Not 
public perception. Not, what will people think if they hear about what I've done? What will they think if I repent? What will they say if I confess my sin? How dare anybody know these things? And friends, I have to say that I have far too often heard people be upset or offended that the church would know the sin that they've committed that they're repenting for. And I scratch my head at this. (laughs) If you are really concerned about your relationship with God and you are truly sorry for your sin and you want to make it known that you are on the right path with God and you are doing everything you can to turn toward God, then you're not going to care about what people think. But so often what we want to do is be like Saul. I've sinned. Now honor me before the people. Everything's good. Let's just pass that right by. We'll make sure nobody knows. This is covered all over. And that's not the heart of repentance. And I want you to be impressed by the king of Nineveh, who even the king gets off the throne, takes off the royal robes, puts on the sackcloth and sits in the ashes and cries out to his God. That is a picture of repentance. That is the heart that God is looking for that doesn't care what people think, but cares about their relationship with God and God alone. We we looked at this on our Wednesday night class. Just think about the words of the sinner who said, who we are shown in Luke chapter 18, who was unwilling to lift his eyes, who simply beat his breast and merely proclaimed, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's, that's, that's it. There's no excuses. There's no make me look good. None of those things. True repentance does not try to make their sin look good. True repentance doesn't hide sin. But true repentance comes before God and knows what matters is what God thinks. That's what matters. And these people, verse 5 Everyone, great and small, believing God, proclaiming a fast, putting on sackcloth, even the king of Nineveh doing likewise. And notice what he does in verse 7. In verse 7, he offers this proclamation to be made throughout the city. By decree of the king and his nobles, no human being or animal or herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Humans and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God. I want you to hear the picture. I wonder what a scene that had to look like. Don't you wish sometimes there was a video of of some of these things? Not only are all the people fasting and wearing sackcloth, here he says, put it on the animals too. 
We, we, this is going to be wholesale repentance. We're going to make everybody fast. We're going to make everybody uncomfortable. This is going to be all of us humbling ourselves before God, small, great, animal, everybody, to try to communicate to God that we are turning back to him. And not only that, look at the rest of that verse. In verse 8, all shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that are, is in their hands. You want to know something else that's very important in a picture of repentance? Is the determination to stop doing what we were doing. Repentance is not, I've sinned. Now let's make sure nobody knows so that I can get back to hiding my sin tomorrow. He makes a proclamation. Everybody needs to stop doing the evil they're doing. If we are going to have a heart of repentance before God, there is a devotion to God that says, I've got to stop sinning. I've got to stop doing evil. It is not merely turning to God and saying, I'm sorry for the sins that I've committed, but willing to make a massive change to our lives. And you see that pictured here. Let everyone turn from the violence. Let everyone turn from their wicked ways. And I want you to notice the motivation. Look at verse 9. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. I want you to see in the king as well as in the people. They are inwardly convicted, which led to an outward change in their words and in their behaviors. They're so internally convicted that they say, we need to stop the evil and the violence that we were doing. And I want you to notice that motivation because who knows if God will relent? Who knows? God may listen to our plea. He might pay attention to our repentance. And this whole calamity and this whole disaster may be averted. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. What a picture. And what a hope that you see the people having here. It's a very simple process in thinking about will God turn when these people turn from their sin? Now, I have to restate before we look at what happens next. These are not good people who've done just a couple things wrong. You know, these are not good moral people with, a, you know, a few little flaws. You know, sometimes like we, we like to look at people in the world. Oh, yeah, they're pretty good people. But, you know, they're just, you know, here and there, you know. This is a terrible, wicked nation. This is an awful, cruel people. And now the question is asked. Will God relent if such people turn or not? Look at verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, 
God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said that he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. I'd originally titled this the God of Second Chances, and I thought that's not accurate. We're going to have to call this lesson the God of Infinite Chances. This is a stunning response that God relented from the decreed disaster that he had said. He said 40 more days and this city will be overthrown. You would think there is no chance, no hope, no way. Jonah walks into the city and says, it's all going to go in 40 days. The people are convicted in their heart. They offer a fast before God. They wear sackcloth. They turn from their evil ways. And God sees what they did, how they turned from their evil ways. And he relented. Friends, what we often miss is that this is the character of God. That God relents if we will repent. And that is a message you see so many times in the scriptures. I don't have time to share them all. I'll just give you one. Do you remember when Israel was worshiping a golden calf out in the wilderness after God had just rescued them from Egyptian slavery? Moses is on a mountain. He says, just hold on. I'll be back in a little bit. God's going to make a covenant with you. I'll be back in 40 days. They are down there with a golden calf and they have thrown off everything about God. And God tells Moses, have you seen your people? I am going to wipe them out and start a new people out of you. And Moses pleads on behalf of the people. And it said that God relented. God relents. If we would just repent. Listen to how the prophet Joel said this. I mean, sorry, Jeremiah. Prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 7. If I at any time declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. And if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do it. That's Jeremiah's prophecy. If I make a decree of judgment and the people stop and turn back to me, I will relent. I will receive that repentance. And the rest of it is, says the opposite. If I say prosperity and build this place up, build and plant it, and it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, I'll relent of the good. It's in your hands. Of how you want to approach your God. What an amazing picture of who God is. And I want to zero in on this one major point. That God can change the outcome if we will change. Back in chapter 1 of Jonah. 
The captain of the ship comes down to Jonah and tells him, you need to call out to your God. And he says in verse six, maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Did God take notice? When Jonah turned to the Lord, God took notice and rescued him pressed the reset button for him and said, let's try this again. And when the city of Nineveh turned to the Lord along with the king, God relented and gave a fresh start and did not bring the disaster that the city deserved. We serve a God of infinite Chances, And God will change the outcome if we will change. In fact, I believe the scriptures are very strong in this picture. There is only one reason why God will not relent from judgment. There is only one reason that he gives over and over again on why we would receive the just punishment and wrath we deserve because of our sins. There's only one. God won't relent if we don't repent. In Acts 2, if you've grown up in the pews, you know the scene so well. The apostle Peter stands up. And he starts teaching the people that they have crucified the Son of God. They have crucified the Messiah who came to save them. And he tells them that Jesus has risen from the dead. And it told them that the people are cut to the heart. They're devastated by the message. And they ask a simple question. What should we do? First word out of Peter's mouth. Repent. That's what God is looking for. Is it begins with a heart of repentance. It begins of a people who are seeking God. So friends, God is not merely a God of second chances or of third chances or of fourth chances. He is a God of infinite chances. And I don't know where you might be in your life right now. I don't know what you might be going through. I don't know what sins you're grappling with. I don't know where you are in your relationship with God on how close or how far you feel from him. But I know that you can turn back to God and push the reset button. That is one thing that God is consistent about. Your sins are not too many. Your sins are not too horrible. Your sins are not too grave. If you will just repent. If you would simply humble yourself before God. 
and receive him as the authority of your life to cry out to him, not only sorry for sins, but without excuse. Without excuse. These are my sins. I am worthy of condemnation. And I am worthy of judgment. And I place myself in the hands of God. And God says, if you'll turn like that, I'll receive that. And you can have a fresh start. I'll end with this. If God can receive the repentance of Ahab, the worst king ever of Israel, he will receive yours. And if he will receive the repentance of King Manasseh, the worst king of all of Judah of the south, he will receive yours because he is a God of infinite chances. God will relent if we will repent. God can change the outcome if you will give your life to him. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, what a picture. Lord, I pray that we would always see that this is your character. Lord, we feel like we can sometimes be so far from you. That you have forgiven us so many times that there might not be any more room for you to take us back. Lord, we have failed you so often. And Lord, we thank you and praise you that you are a God of infinite chances. And Lord, I pray that our hearts will always be convicted by the evil and the sins that we commit. But Lord, I pray that you would impress upon each of our hearts that we would understand that it's not too late. Lord, Satan discourages us and makes us feel like we can't come back. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to see you as a father whose arms are always wide open. And Lord, I pray that we would come to you without excuse. Lord, forgive us for our excuses that we make for why we sin, why we refuse you. Lord, forgive us for when we have been more concerned about public perception about ourselves than what you think about us. I pray, Lord, that you would give us a heart of humility. 
Lord, give us a humility to simply care about what you think about us and that we would humble ourselves before you at all times. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be a repentant people, a confessing people, so that we can find the forgiveness that you offer to us. And finally, Lord, it is, it is, it is hard to understand how you could take us back as often as you do. We feel like we should be demoted. We feel like we should have some exclusion put upon us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that when we come back to you, you have said that you were not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters in the family of God. Thank you for your restoration and for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. We offer this opportunity for you to think about where you are with God today. Satan can really, really come at us hard and make us think that there's no path back. And I hope that you'll hear the grace of the book of Jonah and that you'll hear the message of this third chapter. He heard the sailors, he heard his wayward prophet, and he heard a wicked city with its wicked king. He'll hear you too. Would you come to him today? Would you decide today to turn away from sin? That today needs to be the fresh start. Today needs to be the day to start over and start walking with God. To turn away from the life of sin that you know is empty. It's filled with pain. It's unprofitable. And instead walk with a God who loves you and will carry you to eternity with him. Will you repent today? you have not been immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, you follow up with that. Turn from sin. Confess Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, the Son of God who died for your sin, and give your life to him by submitting to baptism. We would love to help you in any way to come to the Lord Jesus this very day. You can let somebody know next to you, or you can talk to me afterward, or you can come forward now while we stand and while we sing.